Well, last week we started a new series called The Power of Circles, and if you weren't here last week, just a reminder, we're not talking about some kind of new age religion, we're not conjuring up some kind of force or power with circles, we're talking about the power of gathering in circles, in Christ-centered community, what happens and what kind of life change can happen when we gather together in Jesus' name. The Bible tells us where two or three are gathered in his name, what does Jesus say? He says, I'm there. So we come together in Jesus' name. Jesus is there. This morning, we've gathered for one purpose and one reason is to gather in Jesus' name. And so we know that the God of the universe, the God of all creation, is right here with us. And when we gather in those circles of two or three or eight or ten or more, God gathers there. He is there with us in that place. Because when Jesus is at the center of the circle, then, then Jesus is present. And that empowers and transforms the circle. And so last week we began this idea of, of connecting and this longing to belong. We all have this desire to, to connect with others. I know that because that's how God wired us. We need community. We need relationship. We need connection. And so we long for this connection, but the irony is we're hesitant to connect. We long to belong, but we're hesitant to connect. And what we talked about last week was in order to experience closer and deeper community, you have to risk closer proximity. Right? You have to risk getting closer. It's easy to stand at the sidelines. It's easy to hold back and wish you had relationship, but you've got to move closer. And what we've been talking about as a church is how do we move from these rows to circles? If we want to experience that power of the circle, we need to move out of these rows and get around others in a circle. Last week, I challenged you to do three things. How did you do with those challenges? I asked you to learn two names. How many of you learned two names last Sunday with the name tags, and then you promptly forgot them again? The good news is we've got name tags again this week, so now you can refresh yourself with that to learn two names. The other challenge was to invite someone into your home. How'd you do with that? It was so cool to get a text, um, to get a text uh, last night from, from someone here in the church that said, you know what, uh, we invited all of our neighbors, which we haven't done, we invited them to our house in our backyard, and we had them all over, and they sent a picture to me of all of the neighbors together and said it was just such an amazing time. I'm like, awesome, way to do that. What a difference. The power of that, getting together, doing that. And then the third thing was commit to a life group. Commit to a place where, where you're going to connect with others regularly to walk, to grow in your faith wherever you're at. And it was great to hear, too, last week somebody said, you know what, after hearing that, we're going to commit to leading a life group. We're going to step out. We're going to host a life group. We want to be a part of that. And I've heard from a few of you doing that. And that is so awesome to create space for community. Well, today, um, you know, I want to move further. I want to move further in this process that we're talking about, about community, because when we look at what happens in community, what happens in that circle, one of those places where that takes place is at the table. And so today, I want to talk about coming to the table. This, is, this right here is actually our kitchen table from our house, and I'm glad you kind of see it at a, at a distance, because it's really nasty. Um, <laughs> It's got, I mean, it's been beat up. It's got gouges taken out, scratch, scratches on it, stains we can't get out. But it's our kitchen table. It's from our house. It's where we sit. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But it's gathering together at the table. Something powerful happens when we come to the table. There's a transformative power that takes place around the table. It's one of the circles that makes a difference. Now I know it's a square, it's a rectangular table. All right, just some of you are worried about how can we talk about the power of circles when I have a rectangular table. I think you guys can... Grab the picture, right? We're going to form a circle around this table. But so we gather around the table, and a lot of cool things happen around the table. But I think in our culture and in our society, we're losing the significance of the table as a part of our social connectedness. 
And what happens is we've got these tables in our home, and, and a lot of us have even gotten rid of the dining room altogether. We've got a dining room, don't even have a dining room table in there anymore. Anyone, right? Some, that, that's the case. The kitchen table, the reason a lot of times communion and community doesn't happen around it is because our tables look a little bit more like this. Have you ever, is this maybe indicative of, of what your table looks like at home? Not a very inviting place to hang out, to share a meal together, right? And so what I want to talk about today is how the power of circle happens and what can happen around the table. And so the table is significant, and, and we began last week looking at a key passage uh, in Acts chapter 2 in the Bible as the early church gathered together. And as the early church, we can get rid of this messy table up here. We don't need to be, keep, keep looking at that there. Oh, well, all right, yeah, we're going to look at this verse here in just a second. So this verse talks about when the early church first gathered and they were trying to figure out what does it mean. Many of them came to Jesus to follow him for the very first time. And so there, 3,000 came to faith after Peter preached. And they didn't know what it meant. How do I learn to walk this faith? What does it mean to be a Christian? How do I live that out in a hostile environment that wasn't, wasn't supportive of their faith? And so here's what we read what happened in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These four things. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Do you see the power of the circle happening there as they gathered together, as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer? God showed up and signs and wonders, cool things began to happen. They broke bread together, they ate together, and transformation happened. And every day, the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved because what took place in their homes, what took place around the table? And I think we, we follow this verse, and you see in there, they, they devoted themselves. One of those things that says they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, we're going to talk over the next couple of weeks what happens in circles. Why is there a power in the circle when we gather in that way? And one of those things is fellowship. Now, in the church, I think uh, we, is one of the only places we really use that word. Let's get together for fellowship. You don't ever hear people like, you know, if you're working a job outside the church going, hey, come on over for fellowship. If you do that, they'll be like, what? I don't understand. Right? It's a word that we kind of reserve for church, and a lot of church people just substitute the word fellowship for potluck. Okay? And that's not... That's not Greek. Fellowship is not Greek for potluck, right? We think fellowship in the church is any excuse to get together, right? And it usually involves food. You know, it's, it's the youth having a pizza party and playing games. It's getting together. It's having a cafe. And we count everything as fellowship. Yes and no. Yes, you can do those things that can be fellowship. And yes, you can do those things and it cannot be fellowship. What is fellowship? We're going to look at that. And so I want to focus on this piece that they devoted themselves to fellowship, this breaking of bread and gathering in their homes. And so today, we're going to, how do you experience the transformative power of the circle around the table? How do we experience that? There's three things that we see here, that we see in God's word, that begins to change this gathering around the table, gathering in circles, that begins to make a difference here. And the first is this. You must be devoted to fellowship. Be devoted to fellowship. To fellowship. That's what the early church did. They devoted themselves. There was a sense of, you know what, this is important. This isn't just kind of an add-on, like, you know, I, I've got my personal relationship with Jesus, and nobody else needs to tell me anything. I don't even need the church. Who wants to deal with the church anyway? A lot of hypocrites in there, and man, they're anti this and against this, and they're so, oh, I don't even want to be there. I just, it's me and God. Nowhere in the Bible 
doesn't talk about being a follower of Christ that way. He says, you are part of my body, the church. And the way do we do that? And then not even the next step of, well, I just, I just do my own worship, and I just go to church to worship. And that's great. That's a good part of coming together to be in church and worship, to join online and to check in and to listen and to hear the word of God. We'll talk about next week being devoted to the teaching. That's a good thing. But fellowship, be devoted. Don't give up on the fellowship. Don't just throw in the towel. Don't just be like, I don't need it. I'll do my own thing. You, what does it look like to say, I'm devoted? I'm a part of this body. I am devoted to the fellowship of the body, this Christ-centered community. What does that really look like? Well, this word fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia. It's the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship, association, community, joint participation. They're saying, we, we've got to be together. We've got to fellowship. We've got to partner together in this. And they gathered together in the love of Jesus to, for encouragement, for faith, for growth. And they did these things together. And then we read in Philippians chapter 2. So this is a little bit later. And, and churches have started forming in homes and in different cities. And Paul is writing. Uh, he started a lot of churches. And he wrote to this letter to a church that was gathering in Philippi. And so we read in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, how they're coming together. And he's asking them these questions in the letter. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? You belong to Christ. Do you have any encouragement? Is there any comfort from his love? How are you experiencing that comfort? Any fellowship, any koinonia together in the spirit? What's connecting you in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? How is this faith making a difference? How is this coming together impacting you? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. He's saying one mind and purpose, love one another, work together, come together. That's how you're going to experience this fellowship in the Spirit. You can't do it alone. You can't do it out there by yourself. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus at the center of the circle transforms the circle. That's why the Spirit is so critical. Because you can have friends and you can have friendship and you can hang out and do all kinds of stuff. But without Jesus gathering in Jesus' name, you don't have the power of that. The spiritual transformative power. There was a, a church that I was pastoring in, and we had started some, some small groups, and uh, several couples that are new, were newer to the faith started coming together, and they formed a group, and, and they were growing in their faith. They were getting involved in the church, and it was really cool to see. But after some time, a couple of them began to drift spiritually. And then drifting spiritually also began to pull away from the church, and were just not as devoted to the fellowship, to use that phrase. And they began to influence each other, and I started noticing that group was starting to pull away as a whole from the body of the church. But here's the crazy thing. Even after they started disconnecting from the church, they still wanted to get together as friends. Now, it's not crazy in the sense that they still want to get together. But now when they asked about being a, still a small group, it was like, no, no, there's no Christ-centeredness in it. You're not gathering anymore to come and to, to grow in our faith, to, to, to pray, to be devoted to the teaching, to encourage each one each another in, in our walk with God. Jesus must be a part of that community if we want to grow spiritually. And the Bible has all these passages, and maybe we'll spend a summer or a fall and we'll go through some of these, the one another passages. There's just tons of one another passages. Love one another. Encourage one another. Be devoted to one another. Right? Admonish one another. All these different one another's that happen when you come together. Share your possessions with one another. So many different things that happen in community. So, let me ask you this. Are you devoted to community, or is that an afterthought when it comes to faith? I'm devoted to attending church. I'm devoted to reading my Bible. I'm devoted to doing good things. But are you devoted 
to the fellowship, to the koinonia of the body. That transforms things. The second is this. If you're devoted to the fellowship, the second is this. Take your seat at the table. So if you come to the fellowship and be a part of that, then take your seat at the table. Acts 2.46 says, they ate together, we just read it earlier, with glad and sincere hearts. As they gathered at the table, there was joy. There was laughter. There was a sense of community. There was a sense of, of, of God being present in that moment. When I look at this table, you know, we, we, we have this table, and this is at our house, and we do each have a seat at, at the table. So um, in our house, this is where um, Kira sits. Kira's my second oldest. She's a junior now. Uh, I sit here. Shannon sits here. And then our youngest, Anaya, sits here, and Miana, our oldest, who's a senior, sits there, and Annika, our eighth grader, sits there, and these are our seats. And uh, if anyone's not there, we know they're missing. And when we get together, when it's time for dinner, we ring a bell, literally, you got this little bell that hangs on our wall, and, and then we ring it even louder when somebody's got their, you know, ear pods in, and AirPods, you don't hear anything. And then we come to the table, and we sit in our seats. We've sat in these seats for, for years, and, uh, it, and that's a place of connection for us. And it's a place where we talk about highs and lows. There's days where one of us is really upset and doesn't want to talk. There's sometimes we get on each other's nerves and sitting too close to each other and get, you're on my half, not on the other. It still happens, right? I uh, don't like the food sometimes, although Shannon makes great food. right? It's normal. It's family life. We have life, but we share about what happens. We share about what goes on. And the importance even of, of a family sitting together around a table is borne out by research. Families that eat meals together at least three times a week they have all kinds of benefits. The kids are healthier. They eat healthier. They, they, they have less weight gain when it comes to their, their health. They have better relationship with their parents. They're, they do better academically. They're less likely to engage in risky social behavior from drugs and alcohol and sexual activity. All the, just because of gathering at the table. Something powerful happens when we come together at the table. But this table is not just reserved for us. When we have our seat at the table, it, it's, a ta it's a seat where we invite others. When God opens the table for us, he invites us into his family and says, gather around the table. Because what happens at the table is, you know, you eat, but then there comes a time where you just kind of kick back, right? And sometimes you, the food's done and you sit and you eat. And it doesn't always just happen, you know, at, the, at your kitchen table, but even uh, just, just the other night, Friday night, we went out with, a, with some friends, sat at a restaurant, and we were there for, I think, like almost three hours or two and a half, three hours. We didn't eat the whole time, Right? But what happened is we were able to get into deeper conversation and just talk about life and hang out and, and connection happens around the table. There's this awesome little quote that I read from uh, Dr. Barry Jones that says this, God has a way of showing up at tables. It might just be a piece of wood and nothing super hyper spiritual about it, but somehow and through history and what we see in the Bible is that God has a way of showing up around the table. There's the, uh, you know, even in the Old Testament, the Passover meal where they celebrated their exodus from slavery and, and remembered that every year, and, and it was very present around the table. And then you see this picture here. This is the picture of the Last Supper, where Jesus gathered the disciples. I think this was an actual photograph um, <laughs> taken there. Now, don't get too literal. Like, I don't know why they're all sitting on one side of the table. Um, I think in reality, they probably all sat around in a circle, so don't take that too literally there. But this was a significant meal. I mean, that meal is so central to our faith, to understanding what Jesus did at that Last Supper. But even Jesus, throughout his, throughout his teaching and throughout his, his ministry, he went to the wedding. Weddings have receptions and food, and he turned the water into wine, and, and he was present in those places. He, he 
even by his own admission and others, they actually accused him of being a friend, right, to, with, with notorious sinners and drunkards and those. He's hanging out. He's spending meals together with others. We talked last week how he went to the house of Zacchaeus and Mary and Martha and, 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 uh, and uh, Lazarus, went to his house, and they had meals together. And even in the Bible, as, as we teach, there's, there's teaching about the great banquet that, that describes eternity, this, this gathering around the table where there's a great banquet and a wedding feast that we are invited to. So all throughout Scripture, we see just the power of the table and, and coming together in, in that way. But Jesus doesn't just show up at others' tables. He has a way of showing up at our table. He has a way of showing up when you gather others around a table. Jesus has a way of showing up. I'll put it this way. Our table becomes a sacred space when we gather with others in Jesus' name. Even that prayer before a meal, that prayer around the table, reminds us that we begin with Christ. We acknowledge his presence there. I remember I had a seminary professor, Dr. Gilbert Stafford, and, and, and he invited the students um, over to his house after we had a class and, and worship and hosted a meal, and he had a candle in the center of the table, and he said, and before we begin, I light the candle and acknowledge Christ's presence here among us. He was very stately, and it was this reminder of the silent guest, but the very one that brings us together is, is Christ. And so we gather together at the table, and then we realize, you know, we have this seat, that you're invited to the table. And I think some of us might feel like we're not really invited to the table of faith. We're not invited to the table at church. If you knew who I was and what I did and how I think or how distant I am for God or my doubts, I don't really know that I have a seat at the table. You guys remember maybe what it's like or you've seen it or it's always depicted in movies. It's a high school cafeteria. A kid grabs his tray, right? The food is slopped down there and then they walk and they look at the tables. And maybe you remember your own experience at some point. What's it like when it feels like there's no seat for you? When the eyes you look at, they dart away. Kids maybe scoot closer together and don't make room. Versus what does it feel like when somebody scoots over? They make eye contact and says, hey, come on over here. There's a seat for you right here. How does that feel? Right? That changes the way you feel. Like, I'm, I'm welcome here. I'm invited here. Have you ever sat somewhere where you have a little nameplate with your name on it, a little placard for the table? I mean, you're expected. There's a seat. You're honored. You're here. And, and I want you to know that, that you have a seat at the table, that God is calling us to take our seat at the table because what happens at the table, just like it does in our family, and when you gather with others, you share your life, your ups, your downs, your brokenness. Things come out at the table when you're talking, and that's where we experience healing. Our brokenness finds healing through belonging, understanding, and love at the table. Deep bonds can be formed at the table when we make that a part of our practice. So, are you devoted to fellowship? And if so, your next step is take a seat at the table. Whether it's literally one in your home that you're inviting somebody to, whether it's going to a restaurant, or whether it's gathering with a group together to say, we are gathering together in Jesus' name. But now let's get to another part of the table, because we don't just want to gather at tables just to gather, because if you gather at the table without food, it's just a meeting, right? I mean, you have meetings at work and things like that, but something about food changes it. So the third one is really important here. The third thing that unleashes the power of the table, break bread with friends and strangers. This breaking bread that comes through twice in this passage that we looked at, they devoted themselves to breaking bread. They broke bread together in their homes, and it says in verse 46, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. We don't use that phrase a whole lot, but maybe you've heard it like, you know, let's break bread together, right? 
Let's break bread. If I'm going to break bread together with somebody, I'm inviting them into my home. I'm inviting them around my table to come into a place where we're going to go together and we're going to eat together. We're going to break bread together. And it's a powerful example. Bread has a lot of significance in our society, doesn't it? You might not think about it, right? America, sometimes we don't have great bread. We just think of Wonder Bread, and it's like, eh, it's not that exciting, right? But bread throughout history is like the staff of life. It's the essence of life. It's the basic thing at every table, right? Simple ingredients, just some grain, right, mixed together with some, you know, like raising agent like yeast and then some salt and some water, and you bake it. I couldn't make it. I make it sound easy, but I, my wife and daughter sometimes make some bread, and it, oh, man, it's so good. And it's this basic foundation where meals begin with bread. And as a German, I love bread. <laughs> this summer, we were able to visit um, my, my cousin in, in, in Germany. And uh, when we got up for breakfast, and he had this out on the table. Take a look at this. This was, this was just the bread bowl on, at the breakfast table. Oh, it was just so good. I can't tell you how awesome that is. I mean, this whole, like, no bread diets, you, it's unbiblical. Like, don't even do that. Like, why would Jesus say he's the bread of life and all these things if you wouldn't even eat bread? So get off of that and eat bread. You're missing out. Um, Germans have 1,300 varieties of bread. Look at this. Here's a shelf like just in one of the German bakeries, right? I mean, I can't even come up with how many that is, but bread is, is so essential. We love bread. But here, even in, even in America, right, you go to Texas Roadhouse, what's one of the fun things you, what, what you enjoy? That warm roll with the cinnamon butter. Oh, Red Lobster. Cheesy biscuits, yeah. And who doesn't love some Olive Garden unlimited breadsticks, right? <laughs> Everywhere, wherever you go. Some of you are like, is it lunch yet? You better hurry up. If you're talking about food, <laughs> yeah, it's only 11.20. You still got some time. Um, bread, it's, it's so essential. It's significant. But even in Scripture, right, it's, it has the significance in the Bible as we read throughout, throughout Scripture that even when, when Jesus was fasting, when he went without food for 40 days and he was tempted in the wilderness, the devil tempted him, turn these stones into bread. There's this idea of something, if, if you're going to have the basic thing, bread is, is just the thing that you have this longing for and this desire for. Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. There's something about bread that doesn't just last forever, right? And it, it, it has this freshness to it, and it gets old, and so this idea we need this daily sustenance. Jesus said he's the bread of life. He refers to himself, I'm the bread of life. Like you eat bread and you need it for your sustenance, but I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread from heaven, Jesus says. So his bread is, has the significance in, in, the, in Jesus' day. When he fed the 5,000, it says he blessed the food and he broke the bread, right? And he gave it, and he fed. It's an essential part of that. We talked about the Last Supper, right? How Jesus changed the very significance of bread around the table, gave it a new meaning. Breaking bread unleashes the transformative power of fellowship. Breaking bread. We break bread together. In some cultures, it's like you don't, you're not even supposed to slice the bread because slicing the bread somehow kills the power of what it can do. There's something about I'm going to break it apart, and I'm going to give it to you. And so when we do communion, it's like I take the bread and I break the bread. Now, uh, during, the, during the pandemic back a couple years ago, we, were we weren't meeting together and, and we were pre-recording the messages. And so on one Sunday, I was uh, recording to break the bread and to, to, to have communion online. And, um, and sometimes breaking bread is not as easy as it looks. Take a, take a look. So as we take this bread together, we remember the time when Jesus took the bread and he broke it. Uh, so well. as we take this bread together, we remember the time when Jesus took... Well, 
Should we try one more time? Or are, we, are we passing up on that? Not going to go? All right, we'll save that. We'll save the blooper reel for another time. But I took this bread. <laughs> I started breaking it. I'm being serious. God, Jesus took the bread. And I started breaking it. And it wasn't breaking. And it wasn't breaking. And all of a sudden, the little crust stuff was, was, all right. (laughs) Was breaking all over the place. And finally, I just broke. And then we couldn't, we couldn't do it. And so, um, yeah, thanks, thanks to our, our, our people who often, you know, like George and Linnell, when they get our bread ready, they, they help me out. They score the bottom of it. So just a little, little trade, little trade secret here. Uh, You guys will never be able to take communion again now going, oh, it scored bread. He didn't break it. That. Anyway, breaking, breaking the bread. When I break the bread, I share a part of me. When you're at my table, when you're at my house, I'm saying, here, this is a part of me. I'm giving you, and we are sharing in this together. We, we, we eat together. In the Old Testament, in many cultures, it's very significant who you invite around your table. To be invited into someone's house is a, is a place of honor. It's a place of respect. It's a place of welcome. It's a place where you are the the guest that is, that is honored. I love this word. I didn't know this before. The word companion, did you know the word companion literally means with bread in Latin? It's the one whom I eat bread with. It's my companion. It's the one I connect with. It's the one who I break bread together with. And it was Jesus who said, I, I call you friends. I call you my companions. You're the ones that I break bread with and I share with you in this way. And so we see these three things, this idea of being devoted to fellowship, then taking your seat at the table saying, I'm here, I'm present, I'm around this, and now I'm going to break bread together. In Jesus' name, we're going to come together. And what I love in Jesus is that the fellowship that we talked about, the table, and the breaking of bread all come together, and they come alive in Jesus. That's why Jesus needs to be at the center. Something gets transformed when Jesus is the center of this table. Jesus is the center of this gathering. When you think about it, Jesus invites us into koinonia with him. So it's not just us in koinonia, us in relationship. Jesus models it first and said, I want to be in relationship with you. I don't want you just to be a a distant, unknown God. I want to have relationship with you. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, before the world, he planned for us to be in relationship with him, to be adopted into his family, to have that communion, to have that connection together with him. And it gave him good pleasure. And I want you to know that you are invited at the table that Jesus says, I want a place for you. I want to be in koinonia, in fellowship, relationship with you. And that leads to the second point. Jesus said he saved a seat for you at the table. I mean, isn't that cool that Jesus said, you know what? I've got a seat just for you. Just like I have a seat for my kids, Jesus said there's a seat at his table for you. And you might go, well, there's not enough room at the table. Well, have you ever done this? You know, like you got to do this, and then you got to do this. Let's see here. I want to have some seat at the table here. Isn't that a neat, have you ever done that at your house, right? Pull out the leaf and it's kind of like exciting. Our table's really sticky. There's probably juice or stuff that got spilled under there. And uh, yeah, and you pull out that leaf, that extra leaf, and you set it in there. And now you say, okay, now, now we got some room. I remember my mom telling me that when she was um, younger, her, uh, her family after church would always invite people over her house. She had a lot of siblings. So they were a large family, but would always invite whoever came to church, whoever didn't have food, whoever was visiting over, and they always made room. They always made enough. They always got enough food out. And I love this picture of Jesus saying, ah, hold on, I got another leaf. I got another leaf. I got another seat for you. And then go get the lawn chair from outside. I'll sit on that one. You guys have the good one, right? You ever do that, right? You've got this mismatched set of chairs around the table. As different and diverse as we are, 
but there's room for you at the table. And Jesus said, look, I'm saving a seat for you here. Join me at the table. And then the true power in all of this, right? Think about Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life broken for you. When Jesus says the table, when he says come to the table, he's not just saying I just want to have a meal with you. When he sat there with his disciples, right, he took this bread. His was maybe not scored at the bottom like mine is right here. But he breaks it. He breaks the bread and he takes it and he broke pieces of it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is a part of me. This is, this, is, this is me, my body broken for you. And you have a part of me when you eat of this bread. And you're going to remember my sacrifice. And he had the, the cup on the table, which was just there being served, but he gave it new meaning as he poured it out. As he served it, he said, this cup represents blood spilled out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So there can be a new covenant, a new fellowship, a new relationship with our creator. And then Jesus says, come to the table. He invites us. To participate with him in this life together. He says, you know, the Bible tells us he's the head and we are the body. We have a part of him. So if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to come to know Jesus, you must be devoted to fellowship. To be a part of the community that Christ gave his life for. The body that he says, I am the head of. We must make room at the table, not just for those that are like us and that act like us and that think like us, but those that, that, that need Christ. Anyone, there's, seat, there's a seat at the table. We pull out the leaf and say, come, be a part of my community. Be a part of Christ's body together. And then we take our seat at that table with friends and strangers alike. And then we break the bread. Maybe we break it just to eat it, but we break it with the presence of Christ in our midst, saying, Jesus, as you are a part of this community, as you are a part of this fellowship, what brings us together, that's the transformative power. Maybe this morning you don't know Christ. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with, you, with him. He's a distant God who is a religious thing, is a biblical thing, is for those Christians or other believers, but not for me. He's inviting you to the table. He's saying, I have a seat for you. He wants to break bread, not just bread, but his body for you to give you life, to give you hope, to give you freedom, to give you that relationship and to connect you together with other people who are messed up and struggling and screwed up at learning and growing and getting better and, and being forgiven and being healed. That's the journey we are on together as a body of Christ, gathering together in fellowship. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come to the table. We've got the table here. We're going to have a time of communion together. At Meadow Park for communion, we will serve. We will have some hosts up here in just a moment. We've got the cup and the bread. The bread is on top of the cup. You peel that back and the cup. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to accept maybe today for the first time where you say, you know, um, I want a seat at that table. I want to have a part of Jesus. I want to be a part of his forgiveness for me. Then come and receive communion. Take that today saying, God, I'm a part of you as you are a part of me. Thank you for what you did for me. We do this in remembrance of the sacrifice that Christ made. So if the hosts would come this morning, we're going to ask you to move out of your rows and receive the body of Christ as, as we sing this song. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that you show up around tables, that you show up at the table around our house, at a restaurant, when we gather here at the table for this breaking of bread, God, the Lord's Supper, as we remember your sacrifice for us. Thank you, God, that 
you didn't stay in heaven, but that you came to be in relationship with us, that you brought and gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could experience the living God each and every day. And Lord, would you open our hearts to welcome others to this table and to remind ourselves of our connection with each other as we gather in your name. And so, Lord, this morning we remember your love for us on that cross, your body broken, your blood spilled out for us so that we could have life. And so we come. We come to the table.